my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you're having a great week. Uh, great show today. We, we covered a lot of ground. I was joined by my friend Tyler Grant. Uh, it's been a while since I've had Tyler on. It's always good talking to him. He is a, uh, an expert on China, so it was good to get his perspective on the whole China NBA stuff. And uh, We also talked about Syria uh, and the Middle East generally. We talked about... Um, Bernie Sanders and Liz Warren and the Democratic field and all that stuff. We, we covered a lot of ground. I think you guys will enjoy it. Uh, first, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, you can hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. There's cool incentives if you choose to do so. All right, without further ado, here's my chat with Tyler Grant. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my friend Tyler Grant. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time, my brother. Yeah, dude, always great to come on. Absolutely. So before we get, uh, we have a ton to talk about, as always. But uh, before we get into the news of the day, uh, you and I are actually facing off this week in the No Gimmicks Podcast Fantasy Football League. So that's oh that's very gosh. exciting. Both of our teams are uh, struggling. Uh, uh, we're, we're both struggling. I think we're both two and three. So uh, not, not the best start to the season. Well, I mean, you know that if I draft you for my fantasy team you're either going to get injured you're not going to play anymore you're going to get cut by a roster or you're probably going to be participating in some criminal activity so (laughs) that is literally how my fantasy football seasons have gone and will always go so i wait did did you draft a b uh no okay good no 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 i I wasn't that i wasn't that crazy but uh (laughs) but no you know kareem kareem hunt is definitely on my team which i was conflicted about drafting in the first place but you know whatever that's how it goes it's how it goes i I mean i lost big ben and saquon barkley in week two so it's man oh yeah just uh i I get it rough rough start of the season just dudes dudes we have we have a lot of big (laughs) we have a lot of oh i will complain about one more thing i did lose by 0.6 of a point to the fake jim acosta last week so that was that was brutal 0.6 i mean i i did you see all the uh the barstool stuff where many many people lost their fantasy stuff because baker mayfield was negative too <laughs> yeah. like many yes. many people lost fantasy games by like one point with baker mayfield so you know i guess Man, it could I, be worse I, I lost by less than a point i lost by less than a point when my number one receiver mike evans the all pro wide receiver caught zero passes for zero yards I'm like Beautiful. one pass for seven yards, and I went. I know it's like Mike Evans, dude. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so all right, let's talk about China, which is why I wanted to have you on. That is your beat. Um, we discussed the Daryl Morey fiasco on Monday, and we'll we'll jump back into that a little bit. But the NBA has managed to make it even worse. Anytime they open their mouths, they make it worse. Um, and we'll get into that. But I, I want to talk about big picture for a second. It is absolutely terrifying that the Chinese Communist Party is influencing American businesses to this degree. I mean, it really is shocking. It shouldn't be shocking. It's something that people like me should have had our eyes on for a long time. I know it's something you have had your eyes on for a long time. But uh, for the people that are just now kind of waking up to the meddling of the, the Chinese Communists, it's shocking to a lot of us. 
Yeah, it's it's not really surprising in light of exactly who it is that we're dealing with. Pre- President Xi Jinping is perhaps, I mean, he, he's a little bit of a Mao, Mao acolyte. You know, he spends a lot of time talking about Mao, spends a lot of time trying to hone his um, closeness to Mao, building a cult of personality. I mean, people forget that last year, um, uh, yeah, I guess it was last year, they banned Christopher Robin being played in China because of the fact that pro-democracy dissidents within China liken uh, um, President Xi to Winnie the Pooh in appearance. <laughs> and they banned it in China. Uh, and then, you know, so it's it's very, very funny in light of the fact that, you know, Disney, through uh, their subsidiary ESPN, shoots emails out to everybody, hey, don't comment on, don't comment on China and the NBA, don't comment on China and the NBA. And it's just, it's a crazy world that we live in. And, and the Chinese soft power influence has grown tremendously and will continue to grow. You've seen it in Hollywood. You've seen it in uh, acquisition of foreign assets. You've seen it in Africa. The, the Chinese Communist Party knows what they're doing. They know slow, soft power growth. And and frankly, now they're, they're leveraging that growth because they know that no one wants to lose access to the billion dollar market that is the Chinese. Right. You brought up ESPN. That one is uh, is especially hilarious to me, obviously, that they're hiding behind the we don't want to get political mantra, which if anybody has seen Isn't Jamel ESPN Hill in the last several there? years, uh, I think she does. Yeah, yeah I think that, she's I don't think she's on TV anymore, but she's a writer. Yeah, that's that's insane. Yeah, and, to me. I mean, they, they talked exclusively about trump and colin kaepernick for three years <laughs> so it, th- them trying to say they don't want to get political is is absolutely Which, amazing and yeah I mean, we're seeing it outside of just the the nba thing you know blizzard the video game maker uh banned a pro gamer who who lives in hong kong um for you know supporting the hong kong protest you know apple uh recently removed the taiwanese flag emoji from anybody living in china or hong kong so i mean they, their their reach the the chinese communist party's reach is uh, it's growing you know i like I said, maybe I, I just started paying attention to this stuff, but it's man, it, it seems like it's growing rapidly. It is, and and the reason and the reason for it really is that Xi Jinping knows that being a strong man and being perceived as a strong man within China is vitally important for your uh, efficacy and power within the Communist Party. And you know, while he is you know president for life, that president for life status can change rapidly depending on his perception within the Chinese. Con- Communist Party. I mean, obviously, he is sophisticated with the way he's going about it by making sure that he eliminates um, dissidents through the guise of, you know, corruption, which is something that Chinese political leaders have always done when they get into power. Deng Xiaoping did it. Mao did it. Um, can't think of the other guy's name. But the minute that they get in power, they immediately purge the Communist Party of of dissidents and, and people through the guise of, of corruption. So it's it's not something that should surprise us really in light of you know who Xi Jinping is. Right, right, and look, I, I'm a, I'm a libertarian. Everybody who listens to the show knows that. But anytime we're talking about communism, I just immediately transform into a younger, tattooed version of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I just uh, I, I really really do not like seeing the West being infiltrated by by the East. <laughs> you know, capitalism being under siege from the communists that's not supposed to happen and you saw last night I, this was actually shocking to me um, last night I'm sure you saw the video Tyler at the 76ers game in Philly 
a couple were escorted out of the arena for bringing signs that said "Free Hong Kong." What's it? it, it it's, in it's, in, it's, in, it's incredible. In Philadelphia, it's, man. it's actually incredible. I mean, you know, and I saw some people push back with the whole, you know, poly, you know politics shouldn't be in sports and all that nonsense. I, I'm old enough to remember where you know, uh, the the sprinters at the at the U.S. Olympics, you know, and protesting uh, police violence and racial inequality. You know, they, they put black fists in the air and head down in order to say, you know what, like we triumph, but at the same time, like there's still work to be done. Like politics has always been tied into sports and sports has always been tied into politics. That's just the way it is. That's what, that's what the purpose of the Olympics is. So, of you, course. you know, when people go and they want to protest and say anything, you know, I, I was, I'm perfectly fine if Colin Kaepernick wants to do his, his protest the way he does it. You know, I could disagree with the, the facts supporting his protest, but you know, people wanting to express themselves politically. I'm one of these free speech people that says, do it, do it as long as it's not, you know, jeopardizing or, or having a chilling effect on someone else's free speech abilities. And so the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're tossing out people for a pretty innocuous statement that politically for you know, an American, at least just shows just how much the NBA fears losing the one point like $8 billion that they get from the Chinese because, you know, something that people don't realize in this country, which is which is fascinating, too, is how much the Chinese love basketball and how, how big of a culture it is in China. And so to see that revenue go away, I'm sure the NBA is, is looking at cutting their profit margins, you know, at least by a quarter, if not in half. And so, yeah, I mean, m- money talks. But at the same time, you know, you and I are old enough to remember where, you know, people like different companies will cut time as with whole states for disagreements politically. I mean, you had Hollywood the other day saying, you know, we're not, we're not going to do business in Georgia anymore because of the abortion bill. I mean, give me give me a break. I, I, I guarantee you, if Georgia somehow came out and did some sort of statement against the Chinese, I would would really businesses in America start cutting ties with them. Like that's that's we live we live in a weird world in which China can have a chilling effect on speech in this country. That's hugely problematic. Right, and the NBA specifically, they pulled the All-Star game a couple years ago out of Charlotte. It was supposed to be in Charlotte, and they moved it to another state because of the whole transgender bathroom thing. Right, which is, you know. So, I mean, exactly. I mean, we're absurd. talking about communist China, who currently has 1.1 million Muslims in concentration camps right now in 2019. And they're, they're completely silent about that. Um, Jim Garrity over at National Review made a great point yesterday. Um <laughs> it's, it's kind of comical. If it, it would be comical if it wasn't so pathetic. But, you know, there's 30 NBA teams, 12 players in each team. Each team has several coaches, training staff that, that you know, the corporate office has like a thousand employees, something like that. You can't get a thousand plus human beings to agree with each other on anything. Um, but <laughs> every everybody connected to the NBA is 100 percent in agreement uh, that you can't criticize China. It's, it's amazing. You could not get those thousand men in a room and have them agree on anything else other than that the chinese communist party is good yeah <laughs> it's, I mean, it's just it's, amazing man it's, amazing it's actually incredible i mean I, I it was really sad actually i think i saw it it was either the washington times or the washington examiner got a hold of mark cuban and asked him and then, you know you all they, uh, that guy has an opinion on everything and he he had no no feeling whatsoever on china and the rockets and it just it just goes to show that a lot of people a lot of people talk real big in this country when it comes to, you know, virtue signaling and moral grandstanding. But when it comes to the rubber hits the road and dollars start to speak, I swear to God, they speak Mandarin in this country more and more often. 
That's a good way to put it. Yeah, money talks, and it doesn't always speak English. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Man, a guy, a guy like Steve Kerr, man. I mean, that guy, even maybe even more so than Mark Cuban, has an opinion on anything. I mean, and if you don't want to get hurt, do not get in between Steve Kerr and a microphone when uh, he's all pissed off about Donald Trump or, or something like that or about oh, I, Black Lives absolutely. Matter. Absolutely. But you know, he's completely silent on this. It's absolutely pathetic. But um. All right, so let's, I have a couple other things I want to cover before I let you go. First, um, as of this morning, apparently Turkey uh, began hitting Kurdish targets in northern Syria. Obviously, this is what we kind of feared would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give the audience like a satisfying opinion on the Syria stuff because it's very nuanced, and I'm split on a lot of this stuff, especially regarding Syria. Mm-hmm. So, what do you make of Trump, uh, you know, pulling some troops out of northern Syria and and the fallout and, and where are you on this? Cause I honestly don't know where I am on this. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, my, my general uh, moral and political disposition on this is that if I am unwilling to, and I'm unwilling to send Americans to, I am generally not in favor of sending American troops to different places to exercise different political outcomes, which is why, you know, I, I can't find a good, you know, I, I get the, the neocon interpretation that these things have cascading implications. So what, you know, what today is not a problem that would involve and threaten and jeopardize American interests tomorrow would very well could based upon how everything, how everything flows. But just like all slippery slope arguments, not all of them are good ones. And I view uh, us being some sort of bastion in the region, in the Middle East to just keep warring countries and tribes from fighting and killing each other is, is something that I I can't get excited about sending American troops to stand in the middle of. While at the same time, I am cognizant of the fact that us being protective of our friends and people that have historically helped us in conflicts that we might necessarily might not necessarily have should have been in in the first place is something that we ought to do. But at the same time, you know, not to just equivocate, but I just think it's it's one of these things where there are bright line rules. And when it comes to American involvement abroad, I don't believe that there are bright line rules because the conflicts are so complicated. But I, you know, at the same time, I don't believe that the, the Turkish president is our buddy by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And, and by any moral reading is not a good, good guy. So, you know, caving to that is not something that I am going to get excited about either. But at the same time, time you know i every american troop that loses his life abroad i i hate with a passion because there is yes. no reason in in a day and age where we have drones and sophisticated weaponry that we do that we lose american troops abroad in conflicts that we can't even cite exactly why we're there in the first place absolutely i, I wholeheartedly agree and uh you know as i was reading the white house's statement i guess it was two nights ago you know, I, I started off very happy about it, and it got worse and worse as I kept reading. You know, it's like President Trump has ordered the withdrawal of, of troops in northern Syria. I'm like, all right, I'm with you. I mean, I hear you. We, it was an unconstitutional war. I, you know, Obama did not have the congressional mandate to go into Syria anyway, and there was really no good guys in the Syrian civil war. There's the Syrian Kurds who are actual communists, they're Leninists, and then there's the Free Syrian Army who is essentially al-Qaeda, and then there's... ISIS, who's ISIS, and then there's Bashir al-Assad, who's a brutal dictator. So it's like, if everybody could lose that civil war, that would be terrific. Um, 
but and, and, and we have we have no the our moral preening doesn't make any sense either because when we're when people were no. talking about that since everybody is sort of a loser trying to say oh well we need to pick a winner is exactly the problem that people cite when they criticize george w bush for getting involved in iraq and afghanistan is that you de- destabilize yes. a region by by propping up one particular party because you're you're literally picking winners and losers because we're the united states and we have more stuff yeah we have more weaponry <laughs> and so we pick winners and losers and so when you say oh no we're gonna pick one side or the other like we're literally picking winners and losers and that's exactly the reason that liberals cite to criticize the president or to criticize president bush so I mean, you know, it's so funny too point. like uh the the quote-unquote experts on twitter or even on cable news you know it, it's shocking to me um a lot of these clowns don't even know that the Syrian Kurds and the Iraqi Kurds are two entirely different groups of people. <laughs> they, they literally do not know that. The Iraqi Kurds are pro-American, pro-capitalist. You know, They are truly our allies. The Syrian Kurds are actual Marxists. And two different groups of people. Um, but, you know, so a, as I'm reading this statement, I, I, was with, I was with Trump on, yeah, let's get the troops out of Syria. I'm like, okay, well, sure. And then because Erdogan wants to... <laughs> invade northern Syria. Wait, wait, what? That's why we're getting the troops out of Syria? To let Erdogan invade the country and establish, you know, accomplish his goal of establishing the second Ottoman Empire, apparently, which is what Erdogan has wanted to do for, you know, decades now at this point. Um, so it's like, man, it's nuanced. It's it's more complicated than anybody's willing to admit. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, obviously, Doing what we've been doing for 20 years has not been working. Oh, agreed. Obviously, and, and, and pulling out of the Middle East entirely wouldn't work either. I, you know, I, I don't agree with Ron Paul, and I don't agree with Lindsey Graham. I, the truth is somewhere in the middle. It's also funny too because I, I think that there's actually a very, you know, obviously I would never write this up, but I think a very interesting and sophisticated argument could be and would be to say, you know what, like if you're analyzing like a liberal worldview in modernity where you're saying open borders are okay open borders are you know the right approach and they're some sort of moral axiom that we should look to at the same time while saying the argument well it's problematic for u.s troops to be involved in different locations you really kind of have to analyze like which moral imperative you're you're looking at because if you're saying well the one way and the one direction is okay but if american troops were to say get involved and, and create little like neo-states in different countries in order to like stabilize and protect the region you know and you find that to be problematic you got to kind of look at your your worldview like well wait a minute what what is your real problem here do you, do you see what i'm saying right because in, in the in the one yeah, in the no, one I, direction you're saying like you know human mobility is acceptable and immigration is always always permissible permissible and always moral but then the other direction you're saying well american troops being involved and making things better is somehow like problematic in these ways and so it's like a it's like a complicated uh like anti-colonialist but at the same time pro hyper immigration stance it's, i think there would be a very <laughs> right. a very sophisticated argument to be made on that because the same people that are like very anti u.s involvement everywhere are also very you know pro or the people that criticized trump for pulling out are also like hyper immigration and it's it, and but then at the same time like hyper anti-colonial do you see what i'm saying which is american right. troops I mean, being it's, involved it's, is it's, it's, it's colonialism like it's pseudo it's colonialism light like we're preventing syria from falling into worse chaos by being some sort of um guy in the middle between people that want to play you know rugby 
Right. It's you know the the left's philosophy is incoherent in that way, where you know the the West can be influenced by the third world and by the East. I mean, like earlier when we were talking about China, mm-hmm. but we're not allowed to influence anywhere else. Exactly. Exactly. That's bad. Mm-hmm. But the third world influencing us is not bad for some reason. And I don't know how you can square that circle. And I also will say, like, I the one thing that I do think is just strange and different about the president versus you know predecessors is the fact that the president always finds a way to strangely over applaud foreign leaders that we we always view as problematic like you know one minute we're calling president Xi the enemy the next we're talking about how he's a great man and great leader and he's doing all these great things which you know i get you gotta you gotta blow smoke up these people sometimes but but sometimes it's just sort of unnecessary and it just seems that he's he has a proclivity to want to do that and it kind of it always has made me just sort of scratch my head a little bit like what who are you trying to who are you trying to impress here like it, it it's so like with Erdogan, for example just saying oh he's a he's a great man he's he's gonna come to the white house and do great things great 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 it's like he's not great and like we don't have to say that he's great you know what i mean yeah i think the the best way, <laughs> that's the best way to put it is that that tactic his negotiating style is unnecessary a lot of the time like i don't it does make me uncomfortable that he feels like he has to do that. I mean, you have to be, you know, kind and, and gracious to these world leaders. I get that. You can't just go up in there and hammer them. I mean, even, and you know, it, and it, but it's also, got it's along with super, Gorbachev. I mean, I understand that, but it, it is unnecessary. And and these people don't realize, or the president doesn't realize, that when you, when you do that, when you say, oh, Xi Jinping, really strong, really powerful leader, that clip shoots across China, shoots across North Korea like wildfire. And, you know, they're not, they're not showing the full clip. They're not showing the other stuff. They're showing, oh, man, look at the Americans bowing to the Chinese. Oh, my gosh. Right, right. Just He just thinks that he is such a great leader and blah, 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 blah. That's why, that's why in, in former administrations, there was weeks and weeks and weeks of discussion of negotiations about optics and optics alone because optics in these negotiations matter a lot. And so they were always trying to, um, like, discuss how things were going to be perceived, how things were going to look, who was going to stand in front of whom, who was going to walk in first, who was going to walk in second, all, all that kind of stuff. All of that stuff was hammered out for weeks before these big meetings because optics matter, because former presidents, former administrations knew that everything that you do in these negotiations is presented as a win for, for dictators and, and regimes that are contrary to the United States. And sometimes it actually makes a difference. Like, I, I don't know if uh, Trump saying kind words about these bad bad people on the world stage is going to have necessarily a huge impact. It, it might, it might not. I hope not. Uh, but sometimes it does. Like, it, one, one of the things that broke Gorbachev's back uh, in the mid-'80s is that famous moment, uh, I think, when uh, they met, Reagan and Gorbachev met in Rinkebeck, Iceland, and uh, Gorbachev had a parka on, and, you know, his weird fuzzy Russian hat thing. I don't know what those hats are called. And then Reagan goes out there, you know, he's six foot four or whatever, towering over Gorbachev with just his suit coat and, you know, no gloves or anything and shook his hand. And, you know, it, it just, it, it, it I, oh, yeah. I've heard and I've read that that really hurt Gorbachev back home in Russia. You know, he appeared yeah, weak he appeared to, the, soft. to the Soviets. Yeah, so. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, and that's why, and that, and that happened, I mean, Everything, everything about engaging with Asian culture is scrutinized in that way. You know, you can you can offend so easily and quickly 
directly by different, you know, different cultural behaviors. And all that stuff matters. And perception is super duper key. And that's why, you know, that's why certain leaders engage with the president the way that they engage with the president, because they know that there will be implications back home, depending on how it comes across. One final point uh, that I wanted to bring up before I let you go, Tyler. Sure. And uh, it's kind of just off off the wall, off off topic, just something that's been bouncing around my head the last couple of days. Okay. Um, and this is regarding Bernie Sanders. Obviously, pray for Bernie Sanders. I prayed for Bernie Sanders. He had a heart attack last week mm-hmm. uh, and then had heart surgery and had two stents put in. Four days later, he was back on the campaign trail. His doctors told him to basically take it easy and not travel as much, but he's still campaigning. He's not going to drop out of the race. Yesterday, his daughter-in-law died suddenly uh, at age 46. Obviously, this family is going through it right now. I mean, they, you know, pray for their family. Obviously, they're really going through it. Right. And then immediately, my mind went to man, oh, man. <laughs> like, trying to put myself in Bernie Sanders' perspective. I, you're not married, Tyler, but I am. I don't know what my wife would do to me if I had a heart attack and four days later went right back to... An, <laughs> An extremely strenuous, stressful situation. Like she wouldn't even let a heart attack kill me; she'd kill me herself. You know what I mean? Like I can't imagine. And as as she should. It does take. Yeah. As she should. And uh, not all politicians are bad. Not all politicians are just you know this power thirsty and stuff. But I can't imagine wanting anything in my life professionally. I can't imagine wanting anything as much as somebody like Bernie Sanders wants power. You know what I mean? Because it does take a certain kind of human being to want to rule over your fellow man. <laughs> so it's like, and he's oh, willing no, I mean, to it's... die for it. I mean, he's literally willing to die today to rule over you and to confiscate your wealth. Right. Like, I, 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 I cannot put myself in that frame of mind. You know what I mean? Maybe that's why I'm not a politician. Oh, no. I mean, it's it's literally the hubris that it takes to run for president is something that no, no one can understand. And it, it is just... It's something that guys like us look at and say, well, wait a minute, like, this is clearly putting stress in my heart so much that I will literally lose the ability to be with my wife and kids and, and me be there for them if I continue on this tact. And, and these guys are like, nah, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep going. It's 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 an incredible next level of hubris that that no one should. And at the same time, you kind of you kind of want your presidents like that. You kind of you kind of want them to be guys that want the job so badly that they're they're, you know they're willing to kind of uh, the fight for it but it, you know it will be it will be interesting he will have to drop out there's no no there's no way if if the pace of the of the campaign at this point is such that he can't hang there's no way that he can hold up you know medically to endure the type of stress that the president's going to put under him if he were to even get into the general but uh which means you know elizabeth warren is atop the polls and despite continuously lying she's gonna be she's gonna be the nominee because it's which i mean can we talk about that for a split second like what absolutely Every, I, I honestly don't know if there's anything about her early life that's true i what i just don't I, understand is that this this weird like like you get it right like it, it makes it makes a lot of sense a person that had staked out that they wanted to be political they wanted to be famous they wanted to be president has staked out this this weird narrative that they didn't need to stake out in order to become <laughs> to become the president and so you you you've seen it from like oh i, I want to be able to talk about women's issues so i you know that's that's going to be a problem for me because you know she's she's pretty unrelatable i mean i'm not a woman but like you know from an objective point of view like i don't know any woman in my life that's similar to her no mother 
certainly that, that you know in the south is like oh yeah no i i identify with elizabeth warren like that's just not a thing um and you know when you have to run against the president who won a lot of suburban southern moms you got to kind of find a way to be relatable oh how do you do that oh well i'm going to talk about like you know maternity care and maternity discrimination because maybe maybe that's something that i can have an inroad in and it turns out to be a lie you know how do i how do i connect with people of color because you know she's the whitest massachusetts person on the planet went to you know <laughs> went to harvard or taught at harvard and how do I, how do i oh well let's let's pretend to be let's pretend to be kind of native american it's just it's it's incredible it's it's a hubris that's at the next level it's creating this little narrative that she thought that nobody would look into or debunk or nobody would you know nobody would dare question and yeah so she's going to continue to do that throughout the campaign she's going to continue to get caught but the me that the problem what i've always said and what you and i have talked about on the show before the, pr- the problem with like campaign finance laws is tr- trying to find a way to deal with the proxy that is the media which carries a lot of water for the elizabeth warren campaign so you know elizabeth warren and donald trump are both a caricature of a candidate from the right and the left and it, it oh, really yeah. is because it you know Obviously, Elizabeth Warren, you know, lying about being fired for being pregnant. Obviously, that, that turned out to be a bald-faced lie. Lying about being a Native American for 35 years. You know, it's like the, her go-to is to try to gain victimhood because she thinks that's her key to success, is to be a victim. And then Trump's <laughs> Trump is a caricature of a, a Republican, too, because he just brags about how rich he is. You know what I mean? It's the exact opposite. I'm not a victim at all. I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm richer than you. Yeah, I mean, so if, if like, you grew a mustache, you would literally be the Monopoly man. Literally. Yes. You would literally yes. be the Monopoly man. And it just is like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you're exactly right. They're perfect little, perfect little characters of what people would want <laughs> if they were drawing up a Republican and Democrat. But, yeah, it's... I mean, she's she's kind of the way. It's really funny because if 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 Donald Trump was a more sophisticated candidate, he could. Ex- I, I don't know if you've had a chance to read through all of Elizabeth Warren's you know quote unquote plans, but her, her quote unquote plans that are on her are her website that everybody lauds is oh my gosh she's she's got a plan for everything. She's so sophisticated, dude. Her plans read like someone read a Cliff Notes version of a policy paper and yes. then told it to yes. a third party who had no idea yeah. about the original paper <laughs> and wrote it down real quick it's it's yeah. I, you know I, I practice securitization law and do like secure transactions banking in my day-to-day work dude if, if any if any of her policies for banking lending you know companies board discretion etc were implemented dude no one in this country would have money lended to them a bunch of lenders are going to flee the a bunch of money is going to flee the country overnight and people are going to people are going to really take a hit like this whole oh we're going to forgive student debt thing will never happen zero percent chance but but it's cool because if you just throw you say you got a plan for it the media kind of runs with it and says oh man just got a plan and because you say you got a plan it gives you viability and somehow viability turns into you know a, a candidacy you know for donald trump it turned into being a president so you know I think the only reason why she gets away with the, the the faux, sophisticated lady with a plan for everything thing is that they're all Bernie Sanders plans. But and I, I have gone through Elizabeth Warren's website and read through all of her plans, and you are right; they are completely incoherent and ridiculous, and you know, childish. You know, it's like a third grader wrote it. But oh yeah, she's just yeah. more sophisticated than Bernie Sanders. Like that's that's like her bar is Bernie Sanders. 
And right. all he does is scream and yell about how he's going to take your money. You know, and he, you know, he does not articulate anything how he would actually get anything done. And at least Elizabeth Warren does a little bit on an elementary level, I suppose. So I think just Bernie Sanders intellectually set the bar so low for the Marxist side of the party that I guess by default she looks intelligent. I, I don't know. I'm no, trying I mean, to I, give her the benefit of the doubt yeah, there. I, I, I don't think know, you're right. And it, it also doesn't help that Bernie Sanders looks like he's, uh, you know, he's a product of, you know, Woodstock. And you can see him, con- you know, still protesting against Vietnam, while Elizabeth Warren looks like a, you know, she looks like a professor from Harvard that is like teaching a class. And so it does, it does serve them in their respective campaigns how, you know, it's perceived because, you know, Bernie, Bernie acolytes, they act kind of like that. And Elizabeth Warren people try to be perceived as the more sophisticated types that are actually thinking through the issues and wanting wanting to actually give like a, a sophisticated interpretation on policies so you know we'll see how it plays out but there's no question in my mind that kamala harris is done biden is gonna biden is gonna diminish and diminish and diminish and you're you're gonna see an elizabeth warren candidacy against trump and god help us all why uh what one more question why like with elizabeth warren she'd be much more appealing to like swing voters and independents. Obviously, people like us wouldn't vote for her because of her, you know, socialist socialist economics, no matter what. Right. But it's like, if she would just be herself and say, "Yes, I'm this coastal elite. I'm super intelligent. The Harvard professor. Blah blah blah. You don't have to like me, but this is, you know, I'm I'm so smart. This is who I am. I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than Trump. Blah blah blah. Wouldn't that be right. more appealing to like independents than the whole faking victimhood and stuff like that? Like I, I brought it up on the podcast like six months ago, back when uh. Cory Booker was still semi-relevant and he uh he did a speech in Iowa I think and it was this like weird beta male like bitch persona he was trying to put forth and like I just went to his Wikipedia page Cory Booker was a D1 athlete at Stanford he played tight end at Stanford on scholarship right and he's he's like a legit and like works out all the time and is like jacked and shit. You know, it's like, dude, look, if you're trying to win like Iowa, why don't you campaign as like the badass football player? I mean, for, you know no, what I mean? I, like, I totally. I mean, I, for the life of me, I've never <laughs> understood why candidates. It, it's one of these self-reinforcing principles, right? Like when you act a certain way and you get elected, people say, oh, the reason why you got elected was X. When when really you should aspire to why when you're trying to do you know different different things and you're trying to run for office. Like, you know, a lot of, no, I, no candidate that I ever know is. Oh, you know, I'm running for office because I want to, you know, I want to make the country worse. Like people, people want to make the country better. They want to stay in power, but they, they want to make, they generally want to make things better. And they think that they know how to do it with, uh, with Elizabeth Warren. I've never understood why candidates who are very, very smart, clearly, I mean, she's clearly very smart, unob- unobjectionably. So, I mean, I, I make fun of her policy proposals because I think that they're just, you know, going through and saying, Oh, Hey, you know, Tommy, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, you want free health care? and you you want you know free stuff and you want to be able to stay at home and you want to go on vacation and you want people to watch your kids and all that crap sure you can have all of it you can you can have a penthouse apartment too everybody can have a penthouse apartment no that's, that's not realistic <laughs> and that's my problem with her but at the same time i've never understood why candidates that are smart don't run to the i'm smarter than my opponent here is why here is why i can effectuate what i can do better than you rather than the whole, whole like oh i'm going to take it a selfie with every single person that comes to my rally and i'm gonna i'm gonna pretend to jog in like i get what she's doing it's like oh, oh i'm healthy and donald trump's not that's what she's trying to do but it's sort of like your your attempt at being folksy 
is so fake it borders on Hillary Clinton. And well, remember that vi- the video with her and her husband. I'm drinking a beer. Would you like one, husband? No, wife. No, thank you. Okay. And it's oh god, lady. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it's, stop. It's you gotta stop. It's, you gotta stop. Oh yeah, no. I and well, and, and that's another thing too. Anytime, anytime you see a politician, these these robotic people try to be folksy and they do weird stuff like that. You're just like, dude, like what what are you doing? Like just be yourself. Throw out whatever your whatever your thing is. Be your thing. And I and, and well, Corey, and I, I've never understood our Spartacus guy. He's He's always just, always just <laughs> trying to seize the moment with these weird, these weird. He's he's like Rand Paul a lot in that way, where it's just like, you know, no one, no one's objecting to this thing that's about to happen. But here comes Rand Paul. He's gonna, he's gonna fight the good fight. And you're like, Rand, literally, like, Congress is four hundred something to one on this. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? But uh, but you know, that's just that's just the way Cory Booker is, and that's why no, you just don't trust the guy. It's impossible to like or believe what he has to say because everything everything's a grandstand, everything's a, a fabrication, everything is a, a dramatic moment on USA, you know. So. Well, I also don't trust vegans, and Cory Booker's a vegan, so I, you know they're malnourished. And uh, you just, how do you, you play D1 like sports so, as a vegan? I I can't imagine he was the starting tight end at Stanford and not eating meat. I'm sure he was eating a lot of steak back then. Dude, he, he, I, he had to have been. Yeah, he had to be. So well, yeah, you can't be like a you know a, a high level D one athlete and just eat kale all the yeah. time. No way. So I'm out of time. We gotta let you go, brother. I know. Uh, I right, told man. you I'd only keep you for 20 minutes, and I I, I took you way over time, man. I apologize. <laughs> good. But uh, real quick, where can everybody find you online and keep in touch and read your stuff and all that good stuff? I'm uh, columnist of the Washington or contributor at the Washington Examiner, and I got a uh, got a piece coming out this week actually about China. So feel free to check it out, and then um, on Twitter, Tyler Grant. All right, everybody follow Tyler. He's great. I'm sure he'll be back on soon. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Mm-hmm.